Welcome to the Business Addicts Podcast, where the stakes are high, talk is cheap, and results are on the other side of commitment. Hosted by a former addict, myself. And I'm his wife, Jamie. We uncover addicts' mindsets, showing that the talents you've created in your struggle will be the superpowers you leverage to heal your deepest wounds. Listen to former addicts share stories of how they've flipped the switch, including insights into how much we can believe in ourselves. For those of you affected by addiction, we support your desire to help the addict in your life by raising the stakes and creating emotional barriers. Welcome to today's podcast, our launching of Business Addicts with Kevin and Jamie White, and this is episode one. I am the host today interviewing Kevin, who in our relationship, we've been married for over 20 years, and he came um, into the relationship with an addiction, and I didn't really understand what that meant. So today we're going to kind of uncover some of our struggles in the process, and really the important part is to provide hope and an understanding of addiction and that really the struggle can become the superpower and on, and we want to uncover that today. So Kevin, can you tell us a little bit about when your struggle with addiction started and really what addiction you struggled with? Yeah. So I had the typical young man experience of uh, around 12 running into pornography or being introduced to that by someone else in the neighborhood, uh, a neighbor that was older than me. So that, I think, is, I've heard that from a lot of guys, um, but it's not, tip. I mean, maybe it is, but that wasn't necessarily a popular start to an addiction, right? Over the next several years, and especially after the internet came into our home, that became my addiction. So mainly I believe that online pornography was my addiction. And what did you believe about yourself at that time? I believed that, well, it was kind of a, the whole situation was I moved to a new town around the time of my first introduction. I think kind of those middle school years, being in a new town and a new class, all of those things did contribute to what I was feeling in those years. Certainly feelings of rejection or feelings of not being enough uh, were major contributors to wanting to find something that gave me an outlet or gave me a, a positive emotional response, I guess. And what were the feelings that you felt about yourself in terms of like how would you have described yourself as an addict at that time? Of course, I didn't know what an addict was, but I felt shameful about it, which, you know, I didn't really even tell my close friends. I do remember a conversation with a friend in high school about it, and uh, we both admitted that we struggled with it. So that, but in that case, we weren't really committing to doing anything different. So I don't know that it was really helpful. So I guess my understanding. I would have probably told you at the time that it wasn't an addiction because I just, you know, I, I thought addicts were like people that drink too much and things like that. But I, I know that I had shame and that I was embarrassed about it. So as far as my feelings, they validate that I knew it was bad. Hopefully that answers your question. 
So at what point did you realize that it was an addiction? What, what changed? I think that probably conversations with you when we were dating, and then certainly after we got married, was when I knew that it was an addiction, I think. And that you can feel free to tell your side of the story if you want. But basically, you know, we knew that I had a problem going into the marriage, but I don't think either one of us felt like it would continue. But around the time where we had our first kid, that was something that I think maybe you labeled it as an addiction. I'm not sure. So possibly having someone outside of yourself actually might have been, I don't know how to say that, but you know, the question is kind of like, are you able to identify or were you able to identify what, what would make it so that you would be able to identify that it would be considered an addiction? I think that the question is important. Like we do have to get to the point where we understand that it's an addiction. That came over time. I think that for me, I told myself that I was struggling against it and that I multiple times had victory over it in my mind. But then when there would be a new stressful situation or just out of the blue sometimes when I was happy, actually, uh, then, you know, it would come back. And and so, yes, I I believe it's important to label it as as an addiction as soon as possible. And what is an addiction? Anything that you really can't control or you don't have control over. Uh, So in my case, that was clearly the case. Well, and you know me, after 20-some years together, I don't even drink coffee or Mountain Dew. I'm not looking for an addiction. So for me, I, I just didn't even understand, you know, what we were dealing with. I had no idea. And especially coming from this Christian-based background, I just thought it you could have transformation in your life and turn everything over to Jesus. And it would be, I guess, hunky-dory or, you know, everything would be perfect. And the reality was that there was just so much of a roller coaster in terms of things I didn't understand. And, you know, one of the things that I discovered as you could say, the spouse of an addict, or maybe there's other words for it, but, and it kind of speaks to the, the beginning part of our podcast where talk is cheap. And, you know, I just kind of got tired of hearing the word sorry. And I know kind of believing walking in the steps that we walked in and believing, I wanted to believe that it was something that you could overcome. And yet it just seemed like it it kept reoccurring. And so what were some of the feelings that you had, like basically 10 years into the marriage, you know, what were your thoughts then? Yeah, after several years of marriage, my thoughts were that what was going on in my mind a lot was, if I can do this, then that'll be fine. Like, for example, if I can succeed in my career, then I'll be fine. If I can get this client, I'll be fine. If I can make a friend or, you know, like almost anything that you could think of. Uh, And then down to the micro level, which would have been like, if I can make Jamie happy today, then I'll be fine. So I would say the inside of my mind, not so much as my feelings, I'm, that's not what I'm thinking about, as much as the voices in my head. Uh, so there was all these different solutions that I created, and then a bunch of 
fake talk, which you've already mentioned, around those solutions. It could be a solution for the day, it could be a solution for the, the, the week, whatever it is. I think that was what was going on in my mind. I'm glad that you mentioned that about it's not just about the feelings, because in some ways we talk about today, we talk about how the feeling of rejection is one of the triggers for you. But really, the reality is there are a lot of voices in your mind. And we've gone through a lot of work these last couple of years. But how long would you say that you were an addict, really? So I would say 28 years. Um, And the way I define that is it would be 25 years of addiction. In other words, me struggling against something that I had trouble controlling, and then a period of three years of healing that was, I would break that down to a few stages if you want to drill into those. Yeah, I'd love to hear what you considered the stages of healing to be. And I know that, you know, when we talk about it, you feel like the stages wouldn't need to be as long for other people, but for you, you kind of, we kind of, <laughs> felt like you were dragging it out a little bit. And so I guess if you can talk about the stages of healing, that'd be great. Sure. So the first stage was really just admitting, like fully admitting the problem and dealing with the shame of the problem. And that came from me talking about it with someone else besides than Jamie and a friend, you know, like someone that, in my case, there was a couple people. There was a coach and then there was an energy worker that I worked with. And really talking about it with both of them. I think one of the powerful things in that time frame was to just call call out that that type of energy and desire, all of that energy associated with addiction, with the addiction was what we call boy energy, or just like a very stuck version of me that came from that wound of, you know, at the beginning of rejection. And so that was the first process. It's just like disconnecting myself, choosing to make a commitment to deal with the shame, to deal with the addiction. So during that process, was there anything that Jamie, myself, really, could have done differently? Was there anything that the people around you could have done differently? You know, sometimes... I know when we were first married, I feel like I wanted to figure out, you know, if there was something I could do to help. But after 20 some years, my, my belief is that I need to create, I needed to create better boundaries and stand up for my core values and what I believed in and believe in you healing instead of believing that it was actually just going to go away on its own or it was going to be okay or that there was something different I could do. I mean, I just, I know, I remember those moments strongly where it was like, why? Why again? Yeah, so and part of what you're hearing from Jamie is like, I was telling her occasionally, right? So, which was creating pain for her because of what it, especially this type of addiction, like what it meant to her. But to answer your question, like, I think that, yeah, the thing that's the most powerful is creating boundaries. When you started to say, if we look back all the different things you tried to tell me about how much you love me or whatever, none of those things really worked. And I think the primary reason is these voices that I had in my head and the talk that I had associated with that. That was not me being present. That was not me being in reality. That was me living in 
something that I didn't believe that I could heal and or that I could get healed. And then what started to cause an improvement was when you shut the door in our relationship and said, okay, so this is not me and I'm not going to accept this anymore and there's consequence X, you know. So when you started doing that, and I, I were as hard as it would be to for someone to figure that out sooner, I, I really think that that comes from a place where you're valuing your own self in the relationship. And so to me, that is something that you developed and started to really appreciate and wanted to protect. And then you created those boundaries. So I don't know if you want to say anything about that on your side of the story, but. Yeah, what you're saying is very, very true. And sometimes you forget about the work um, to, that it takes to get somewhere. But absolutely, I didn't realize I wasn't valuing myself as an enabler, as, you know, someone that looks for solutions to problems. I just kept trying to find a solution or finding a way to um, navigate the situation instead of actually just realizing I had to say no more. You know, it's just not an option. So if we think about going from struggle to superpower, which is really what we're committed to now and, you know, living in hope and believing that it is possible to let go of addiction, what were the final stages and and what do you start to see connected to what was your struggle, but actually now is, is connecting for you? as a superpower. Yeah, so so that second stage after you've committed to making a change and really deal with the shame and the at least the initial reasons why in that time frame that you're struggling that next stage would be really dealing with everything that is underneath the addiction. And I think that maybe this is different for different people, but for me the real triggers in the addiction were in the the underneath stuff like the the beliefs that i created a, as a young person the conversations about money for example uh conversations about maybe you can remember a different subject than money but trying to appear to be right all the time i remember um coming back from a trip and just having a discussion about where we parked the car as potentially being an issue. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, okay, so if, if my entire emotional focus in a relationship is to validate that I'm okay, even though I'm addicted, then I'm not really dealing with almost anything else in the relationship, right? So that second stage is really about dealing with the real garbage that's there. And then the last stage is what I would call healing, which is different. There's probably there's some argument in the former addict or recovering addict space about whether you're recovering forever. We hear this from AA and from the 12 steps that, you know, you're just basically labeling yourself as a recovering addict forever, which I understand that's really important. But I do believe in healing. And I believe that last stage is really identifying the original reason why there was a need in me and in any addict to start an addiction and healing that, um, which is identifying it and giving it to God and asking him to help heal that. And 
I think that any time that that comes up again, that we have to give it to him again, right? So, but I haven't found that that that's. I wouldn't say I'm just recovering. Uh, I'm saying that I'm operating from faith, and that there are times where I notice, like, oh, I feel rejected, you know, and say our relationship, Jamie and I's relationship, and the solution is to identify, hey, oh, I'm feeling rejected, and right away deal with that, right? Deal with that with her or with God or both. What I'm hearing you say is that there's a lot of feeling involved for you. And really, in a way, that was the struggle is processing all the feelings. And yet, as you move into defining your superpower and just stepping into the person that God has really asked you to step step into, it seems like that same struggle, you know, to I don't know exactly how to say it, but something with the feelings is actually also your superpower where you can have true empathy for people in the struggle and you can just acknowledge that the power of feelings and and that connection that we can have now is so much different than the connection that we were able to have before. Can you speak to that at all? Yeah, I think that's well put. Like basically the the whole to do this work of Going through this process, certainly we can go quicker, like you mentioned earlier, by working with others that have been through it, and and I offer those services to people as well. But like this whole idea of getting on a podcast and talking about it, and doing a business around helping people move through that struggle, and then even having conversations with other people that have had really emotional hard things that they're dealing with in life, I do recognize that that has become my superpower. So I had to under, I had to dig into my own mind, and I had to allow other people to dig into my mind and into my heart and into all of my behaviors and motivators and, and beliefs, you know. And so to do that, you get to a point where you're vulnerable enough about who you are to share it with anyone. and. I think that's the struggle of, you know, the struggle of trying to maintain this false sense of yourself and the struggle of healing. If you think about when all of that is processed, what are you going to spend your time with? What are you going to be thinking about? You certainly aren't going to be having all kinds of different voices in your head that you're trying to please, right? About your relationship or your work life or or whatever. So there is a lot of space left over after that process is done and you have a new you have skill sets that you've developed in digging into your own mind. So yeah, that becomes your superpower. Like you don't have any more concern about projecting yourself as something that's false and now you can just listen to others and understand what's in their mind and help them with that process. I think a lot about um, the hiring and firing and the employees that I've had over the years and what you're saying kind of speaks to some that we would call resistors. And I didn't find that I was super good at helping resistors. You were the one resistor that I was willing to figure it out (laughs) for. But otherwise, normally I typically would fire someone that you know, resists at the level that you were resisting in terms of 
resisting stepping into the potential marriage that we could have and the relationship and even where God was asking you to be as a leader and stepping into all of those roles. But resistors in general just kind of drag their feet and sometimes seem like they're going along, like the apologies and I'll do better next time and I promise. And, you know, we know how commitments work for addicts. And yet, if you think about the amount of energy that's being put into resisting and you like to think about flipping the switch on that, if that same person or say for yourself is capable of resisting at such a high level and creating, you know, excuses and reasons and just dragging everything through the mud at the level there that you're capable of it, then technically if we drop all that and let it all go and then start to see you spending that same level of energy on something that's positive and I guess that's what I was hearing you say and just that the potential is so much greater to step into leadership and being a dad and you know you you have more mind space available and your beliefs have been changed and and I just really really appreciate that you have worked through it because it has made a huge difference in our family and in our marriage. Is there anything else um that comes up that you'd like to share yet? Well, I think it's important that I think one thing that you did, you know, along with setting the boundaries and saying this has to stop, otherwise we're not in a relationship or at least uh, a close relationship. You also said that you wouldn't leave me. And so I like the combination, the power of the commitment that you made to me and the, and then also the boundaries. And maybe there's some people that don't think they can do that, but to get to that place with finding help yourself, aka the, what I mean by that is the person that's being affected by the addiction or persons that are being affected by the addiction to really be clear about what you are not going to tolerate. And also to say to the person that as long as they're working on their addiction, as long as they're really committed to changing, that you'll be there alongside them. Now, I think there is a process here. We want to make it as fast as possible, but it really comes down to how much you know, you've know you put into your mind and how much junk you've accumulated and beliefs and all of that. But I won't go into all that right now, but I think that uh, it's important to call that out. And I thank you for a lot of patience. I didn't think sometimes you were patient, but certainly you were extremely patient and extremely forgiving. (laughs) Thank you. I know uh, to the outside, it might not have seemed like much, but there was definitely some internal commitments going on. And you're right that I did have to do my own work first to be able to recognize that we all have layers and we all have bad beliefs and we all have things, you know, inherited junk, stuff that's not even ours that we need to let go of. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that I didn't know it. And so in order for me to really be able to set those boundaries, I had to be in a better place first. And that took some time too. I can't speak to, you know, I can't say much about how much time it took you because I know it took me a while to realize it and then to be willing to change myself because I preferred you. You might've been in the place of shame, but I was in the place of blame. And technically both of those are negative emotions that 
don't vibrate at a very high frequency. And so being able to switch my frequency to be something more of joy and compassion and love definitely put me in a better place to be able to say, hey, wait, this is a roller coaster that I I didn't buy a ticket for. And I don't actually think that I did anything wrong right now. So maybe let's dig into this and see what what's actually going on behind the scenes. There's just a lot of layers to all of it. I think that this last part of this conversation really demonstrates why we want to do a podcast together. Jamie will not always be here, but I think that it's important to tell both sides of the story, and hopefully that's helpful. I know it's a little bit unique, and by being transparent into the work on both sides, we can understand that what we can do, whoever, whether it's the addict or the person being affected in the relationship, what can we both do to get closer to that time frame where someone is healed and is helping others. And for myself, being able to be present for my kids and and really not have endless fights about gar- just absolute garbage like a parking where we park or whatever. I I mean, I look back and all of that is just incredibly silly. So yeah, getting over that and spending quality time together with the people that you love is what's possible. And that's the hope we want to give you. I just also want to share a little bit more in terms of where we are now compared to where we were. We have six boys and we really enjoy doing as much as we can with them, kind of combining work and family time and experiences and experiencing things with the boys. And so it's really important to me. My my love language is quality time. It's really important to me that Kevin be present in those moments. And for the first 20 some years, well, we've only been married close to 20. So maybe my numbers are a little off here, but for a lot of our marriage, he wasn't even present. We could pass him. We could, we could pass something to somebody else and he would end up putting it in his bowl and his, instead and not even realize it was meant for someone else. But in the beginning of our marriage, I didn't ever see us working together. I didn't see, you know, a lot of people talk about their spouse as their best friend. I didn't really feel that at the level that I feel it today. And I'm so thankful for that. And I'm thankful that, you know, for the next 40 years, Kevin and I would like to work together. It's a huge change. And I'm very thankful. Yeah. It's definitely different. <laughs> Not only that, but it's really easy to make friends, and it's really easy to reach out to a stranger. And so, I mean, it's my whole mindset has shifted to the time that we have as as a family and our relationship is is a priority. But then, like, there's all these other side benefits too. So, uh, yeah, it's just really exciting. So that's what we want to share on the podcast, and hopeful that other people that we bring in an interview can add to this and and really speak to in more detail what we're talking about and we'll continue down that road. Thank you for tuning in. And to stay in touch, email us at info at businessaddictspodcast.com.